Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, hockey lovers of all ages, it is the Breakdowns and Breakaways podcast. I'm your host, Eddie Provident. With me is the man, the myth, the legend, Danny Shirey himself. Danny, how's it going this week, buddy? It's going well, man. I finally made it to PPG for a game for the first time this season uh, for the Jets game on, what was it, Tuesday night? I haven't yet, man. I have not been yet. Dude, it, sure. it's it's been tough for me. I I was following the team around everywhere, every practice, every morning skate, every game across North America for a year and a half, and then all of a sudden, just nothing. It was tough being away, and then <laughs> I got I got back there and realized how much I missed it. So it was great. You gotta you gotta get there too. Yeah, I've been on the uh, college and high school hockey circuit the last couple of weeks, so uh, I got to do uh, some playoff high or uh, all-star high, high school hockey i did some stuff for plum high school i uh, got to shoot rmu mercyhurst uh on saturday i got uh hopefully got lined up some more rmu games a couple more rmu games and uh potentially the big one for me penn state versus the number four country in the country uh, number four team in the country right now uh with the wisconsin badgers so uh, i i think Looks good for me to be credentialed for that, so I'll be out there shooting some photography for the uh, for the old college hockey. Circuit. Are you uh, are you going to try and get credentials for the PWHL game that's going to be played here? Already, already in the works. Excellent, excellent. I'm yes, very, I, uh, very excited about that. By the way, I, I'm whether I'm credentialed or not, I'm going. Uh, Marissa's Marissa's excited about it. My wife Marissa, she's pumped about it. So. Um, we've, we've already talked about it. If they bring a team to Pittsburgh, we'll probably get season tickets. I hope they bring uh, a, a team to Pittsburgh. Like I would love to, uh, one, just kind of dive into analyzing some hockey that isn't NHL hockey or like men's hockey, because yeah. there are different <clears throat> dynamics and, and elements to that. But, uh, yeah, have, I, I, have you, have you been paying attention to any of the games? Like, have you had a chance to watch any of the games? Yeah, I mean it's good hockey. I've uh, I've been following Montreal. It's it's tough to to keep up with it. And granted, the Penguins haven't been playing a whole heck of a lot the past month. Um, right. But uh, I I've been trying to keep up with Montreal as much as I can because I'm a big Marie Philippe Poulain fan. So um, can't okay. get enough of her, and I, I've been keeping up with them. Yeah. The I mean, like it's actually been physical hockey, like which is normally not the case with with women's hockey, but they've I mean, they've gotten nasty with each other at times. Uh, they're, I mean, I, I don't care what you say about about you know women's sports. These girls are these women are fast as hell on their skates, man. Like it's it's a different brand of hockey for sure, but it it's a lot of fun to watch, and it's it has been very encouraging to see the acceptance and the uh, the rate in which it's grown within the last couple months since they kicked off this new new league so uh yeah i'm looking forward to it man i like i'm hoping i get credentialed to do some photography for it uh but if not i'll definitely be in the stands as a fan just just enjoying it so if uh, uh, that said if if you've got marissa going with you i might be able to talk maddie into coming too so i have a there we go there we go maybe we'll do a, a breakdowns and breakaways meet and greet at the pwhl event oh yeah <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure we'll have a large turnout for that one yeah yeah we could all get five people together and uh, four of them are me, you, Maddie, and Marissa. <laughs> <laughs> um, with all of that said, uh, I want to talk about Eric Carlson because 
believe it or not, like now, like kind of going back, like what we've talked about, we've never really dedicated an episode to Eric Carlson. We talked a lot about the trade when it happened. Um, and we've, you know, we've talked about him here and there, especially with the power play situation. Mm-hmm. Um, he's definitely come up in conversation, but he's never really been the focal point of a, of a, of a, of an episode. And, you know, I think you and I are going to agree on, on this, this whole thing. Like, I, I don't, I'm not going to be shocked if we agree. Um, really, like I'm at the point now where it's, it's got to be like, you have to put this down as quite possibly the worst trade in Penguins history. Don't you? No, I'm I'm thinking like NHL history. You think? Yeah, yeah, I can't. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. It, it's almost as bad as is what the Dallas Cowboys did with uh, with Herschel Walker. That's before when my they, time. Yeah, uh, it's up there with the Saints trading for Ricky Williams to trading for the draft pick to get Ricky Williams. No, I'm kidding. Look. I honestly think I think you're going to agree here. I just based on your Twitter last night. I wonder how many people actually like didn't think that was a bit. Like that were listening just now and thought like, "Wait, are these guys serious?" Um, I I feel like our regular listeners knew that you were screwed. <laughs> I don't know, no, man. We had I, one person I, on the Substack say, "I'm going full like every week. I'm devolving dude, more into last, an Are we going to talk about last week because we can? <laughs> I'd rather what about not. last week? <laughs> what about it? <laughs> Do you feel the exact same way about the penguins? Yes. Sh- oh yes. my god. Yes. No. I wasn't right. a face. Not- <sighs> We're not relitigating that. Look, Eric Carlson has been a good hockey player. If you look at his underlying numbers, he has been extremely good offensively. I think he's been Better than I'd expected defensively, but I never had a high bar for him defensively. That's not what you're bringing Eric Carlson in for, even though he is a defenseman by name. Well, here's, uh, here's my thing. Like, when the Penguins traded for him, I think any rational, level-headed person knew for a fact that another 100-point season for him was just out of the question. The yeah. way the San Jose's entire season in 22-23 – was about letting Eric Carlson do whatever and anything possible so that he could put up as many points as possible to boost his trade value because they knew they weren't going to try and keep him past the end of the season. I think also that any rational, level-headed person who is paying attention to anything kind of had just succumbed to the idea that, yeah, he's not going to show up as a 100-point guy, and he's also probably going to be the worst defensive defenseman in the NHL, or at least among that group. And while I wouldn't argue that he's been great defensively or even good because he hasn't been, he's certainly had his moments, but he has not been a league-worst defensive defenseman this year at all. And I think that in and of itself is a massive boost to his overall game and his impact that he has on the Penguins. Now, I, I get the, the fact that he has a $10 million annual cap hit and that you have to have production out of that. Like, if, if we're talking about a $4.5 million guy who's streaky and still impacting the game positively, it's like, okay, yeah, we can live without some, you know, we can deal with those inconsistencies because that's why he's making $4.5 million. So, yes, he has the highest cap hit on the team. Yes, he makes a lot and needs to produce. 
with that being said, I like, I can't help but feel like we're backsliding a little bit in as far as hockey analysis goes by looking at his, his point total and going, oh, he's not a point-per-game player. This was a bad trade. He's hurting the team. And, like, even if you go look at Carlson's point totals prior to last season – Hang on, I'm pulling them up right now so I can be 100% accurate. They were down a bit. Yeah, they weren't They weren't if, 100 if you points. Look at the 22, or excuse me, the 2021-22 season, Eric Carlson played 50 games for the Sharks and had 35 points. Okay, that was one season prior to his 100-point Norris campaign. This season, as we record this podcast, Eric Carlson has played 47 games, which is three fewer than the 21-22 season, and he has the exact same number of points. The year before that, he played 52 games, and guess how many points he had? 22. Okay, so anybody who is freaking out over his point production right now, and again, I'm aware he needs to produce. At that cap hit, there's no way around it. you got to produce. But he is producing. And the other thing with it is, how much have we talked about this Penguins team having massive finishing issues? A lot, right? Can I put it? That's what she said in there. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> or are we a family show? No, we're not a family show. Drop an f bomb in there too. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing: the the Penguins are the relative to the quality of their attempts. The Penguins are the worst finishing team in the NHL. The last I saw, they've scored like thirty some goals below expected, and that's not even factoring in that you have Crosby, Gensel. Uh, and a couple of guys who you would think are high-end finishers. And I know I'm not going to deviate too much here with what I'm about to say, but Crosby is scoring a lot of goals this season, yes, but he also takes a lot of volume to get those goals. Okay. Anyway, when Carlson has been on the ice this season, and this does not include Tuesday's game against the Jets because I have to rerun my numbers and I don't really feel like updating a spreadsheet right now, but – Going into Tuesday's game against the Jets, with Eric Carlson on the ice during all situations, so 5v5, power play, empty net situations at the end of the game, Carlson's teammates, so the four other skaters he's out on the ice with, have generated 84 expected goals. Okay? How many actual goals do you think they have? Going to just pull a number out of a hat and say 16. 16? 16 goals on 84 expected goals? It's not that bad. You said it was bad. <laughs> it's not that bad. Holy shit. <laughs> you said it was bad. I just went with a number. All right. Here's the actual total. They've generated 80, and this is excluding – Carlson's individual goals and expected goals. Okay. So the other four skaters during all his ice time have 84 expected goals. The the Penguins have scored 62 goals during that time, which is a difference of 22 goals. This season, Carlson has a point on about 50% of the goals that he's been on the ice for. So there, if, if the Penguins were even an average finishing team, an average finishing team, not even a good finishing team, an average finishing team, 
we could reasonably assume that Carlson would have around 11 more points, give or take a few, right? And if that's the case, all of a sudden we're talking about Eric Carlson as a point-per-game player who's also playing better defensively than he ever has. So if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying that Sidney Crosby is the lead weight that's bringing Eric Carlson down no. because he takes too much volume of shots. No, no, I'm not, I'm not goal. saying what Crosby is doing is bad. Do not do that. No, I'm mad that you said that because I had somebody respond to me. I had somebody respond to me because I, I tweeted out that, that stat that I just shared. And some I'm going to read this to you verbatim. Somebody said, I wonder who, quote, those he shares the ice with could be, perhaps the likes of Crosby, Malk, and Latang, among others. Are you saying the Penn star core, the reason Carlson's point output is below what was expected? And I responded and said, well, he shares the ice with everyone, but yes, the Penguins have a team-wide finishing problem. A team-wide finishing problem. So even though, like, to, to touch on Crosby, for instance, even though he's scored a ton of goals this year, he's also generated a lot of XG. So he's doing it He's got a lot of quality attempts and he's got a lot of volume attempts there, but it's taking him more to get to his goal total than someone like David Posternock, for instance, which is not a problem. But if you're getting further and further down the lineup and looking at guys like Ricard Raquel, Brian Rust, the bottom six that never scores, and like you're you're generating XG when when you have unblocked shot attempts, whether they're good or bad, even if it's a minuscule amount uh, on the XG. So that it like it's just crazy to me how much this narrative would would be different if the penguins were a, even a decent finishing if, if sidney crosby would just score more goals when he was out on the ice with Eric carlson all right i'm going to go have dinner you can finish the episode by yourself <laughs> <laughs> oh then you're going to love the tweet i just tagged you in oh god <laughs> what is this uh <laughs> so oh, no, oh, here, here we go so the the listeners aren't left out of the loop edward provident tweeted breaking danny shirey thinks Ed, edgar allen provident to you yeah, excuse me edgar allen provident tweets breaking danny shirey thinks that Sidney crosby is the dead weight that is bringing eric carlson down because of the volume attempts stay tuned for more I'm about to crawl through this screen and strangle you because you know there are going to be people <laughs> taking you seriously. We just need more Twitter beef. <laughs> we need more Twitter beef. I agree. I'm more, in, Twitter, I'm beef. In my, uh, more Twitter beef. More Twitter beef. I'm in my like don't give a shit mode as far as Twitter is concerned. So I'm I'm here for all the Twitter beef. What what we need what we need is the Penguins to have more instigators like your co-host on their team. That's what they need. Like a Mark Freeman. They need somebody to. They need somebody to get under get in under everyone else's skin. That's what they need. Uh, but all joking aside, I, I I'm glad that somebody, and I don't I don't think you're the only one I saw. I, I know I saw one of Jay Fresh's uh, uh, tweets with his stat charts and his fancy images and everything. That's a good call out because I would um, like to cite some of those numbers as well after you make your point. Yeah. So like I you're not the only one. I, I saw a few other people and I'm I just scrolling through Twitter last night. I'm not gonna remember all of them. But point being, it's good to see people coming at this all joking aside about Sidney Crosby. Uh people coming at this with a level head with Eric Carlson. Because I do think everyone was enamored with the one hundred point season in the Norris trophy last year. 
And even someone like me, no, I was not expecting a hundred points, but I was, I am on record as saying I expected more out of Carlson and it's good to see the other side to that. Now, again, I'm not saying that he can't do more. I'm just saying that it's good to see the other side of that. No, look, if you break it down by what he's actually doing, he's actually playing good hockey. He's actually, you know, it, it could be that the team just needs to kind of follow that tide. And I look, I think if there was a, a theme for the 2023, 2024 Pittsburgh Penguins, it's, as a team, they could be better. That's the theme. Like, look, if you would have told me that Tristan Jari was leading the league in shutouts and had a uh, better than 9-10 save percentage midway through the season, if you would have told me Alex Nedeljkovic would be what he is as a backup, if you would have told me that Sidney Crosby had 27 goals, you would have told me that Jake Gensel led the team in points, you know, this is all stuff that I'd say, well, hell yeah, they're a playoff team. They're probably fighting for the division. And yet somehow this, the, the sum does not equal the whole of the parts. Like it's just, yeah, I don't get it. Yeah. And I don't want to make it seem like Carlson has been perfect this season. He certainly has. No, been. no. He's, and I don't think anyone is saying that. I don't think anyone's accusing you of saying no, that. No, but the, there are, you know, some of the comments that are flying around that, you know, it was, it was, first of all, the trade make made sense from a, the sole perspective of shedding so much dead weight that it made sense for that, regardless of anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I see these Twitter arguments daily where someone's like, oh yeah, Eric Carlson has done a lot of great things this season and, and ranks pretty favorably, at least in some offensive metrics among other defensemen around the league. Oh no, his his turnovers are aren't are, are are way more costly than anything he's helping them with offensively. And if if the Penguins have finishing issues, then isn't that also a Carlson problem? But it's like you can acknowledge that because like I I even a couple weeks ago. Uh, I shared something on Twitter. It was a, a shot chart of Carlson's five-on-five attempts this season. If you looked at Carlson's attempts last season, he had a ton of shots and several goals in between and below the face-off dots in the offensive zone. If you look at his shot chart from this season, he hardly, I think he's got like a total of five or six attempts in between and below the face-off dots and hasn't scored. So I think there are absolutely elements and aspects of his game um, that are maybe still yet to be unleashed. And I think there are elements that could absolutely improve. But we're talking about a guy, and I'm reading this from uh, J Fresh Hockey and All Three Zones, who is Corey Schneider, big fan, watches more hockey than anybody else on the planet. Um, Eric Carlson this season among NHL defensemen, ranks in the 98th percentile in chance assists, which means passes that led to a chance. He ranks in the 99th percentile of primary shot assists. He ranks in the 98th percentile of neutral zone shot assists and in the 91st percentile of defensive zone shot assists. But guess how many primary assists he has? Or what percentile? The 78th. Guess why? Because the Penguins forwards don't finish. 
which is the same thing that my professors in college had a problem with me about. Same problem. Just didn't finish anything. Didn't go to class. But yeah, to your point, it's it's not. I don't think it's a Carlson problem. No, it, I don't think that. Uh, and, I don't and, think and, it has been a Carlson problem at all this season. And I would even say the he's look. I think because everyone saw what he did in San Jose with their power play and how he just basically was their power play. Everybody assumed that, oh, he's going to come in. But he wasn't. I wrote about this before the season. I wrote an article titled, Can Eric Carlson Influence Needed Change to Penguins Power Play? And going into that article, when I was doing my research, my film review, and looking at the data, I was expecting it to be 100% the Eric Carlson show doing everything all over the ice, transitioning the puck Mm. all over the offensive zone. But when I actually dove into the tape, Carlson was like the Sharks power play worked as a five-man unit. They weren't great, but they were more effective than what we're seeing from the Penguins this season. And they were not, at least as far as their breakout was concerned and gaining the offensive zone, Carlson was not all that involved. He would headman the puck out of the zone, uh, typically through the middle of the ice, but then he would drop it off to one of the trailers who would then try to advance it to one of the wingers at the walls, and then they would gain the zone there. And, and once they were in the offensive zone, yes, they let Carlson unleashed and he would go all over and do his thing. But I, I, I disagree with the, the notion that it was the Eric Carlson show and anybody who thought that Carlson was going to show up and just be this magician for the Penguins power play, I think was really misguided. Well, and that's, that's where I fall. Like, I, and that, that was my point. Like, it, it, I don't think that you can pin all of the power play woes on Eric Carlson based on what we've seen from him and what we've seen from everybody else. I, you know, there's, I think there's an, an equal amount of blame that goes around anybody that has been on that power play, except for Jeff Carter. BJC! Um, He's back, baby. M- Maddie he- took a, a hilarious video of <laughs> that goal. Um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's great. But no, like I, I, I don't think Carlson's been good on the power play. I, he, he's absolutely part of the problem. I don't think he's the only problem or the re. But like, I don't think anyone's been good on the power play. No, and and the I, that's the other thing I see, and I, I hate to keep saying like, oh, I saw these comments on Twitter, but like it, it, it's a reality that I am reading these things from what I assume to be real people, is that oh, Carlson's not fixing the power play, so he's not doing his job. Are we forgetting that like the vast majority of hockey is played at five on five, which, oh, by the way, with Eric Carlson on the ice at five on five this season, the Penguins have scored 56.5% of the goals, taken 54.7% of the shot attempts and controlled 54.8% of the expected goals. That sounds pretty good. I would say that does sound pretty good. I would say that that sounds really good. I would say so, too. Um, you know what else was really good? Ready for the segue? I'm ready. The Edmonton Oilers have been really good. <clears throat> now, their winning streak came to an end uh, against the Vegas Golden Knights last night. They lost 3-1. to one. But, dude... 16-game winning streak, and I think for the majority of that winning streak, they were averaging 
uh, four goals a game, which is just absolutely absurd to me mm-hmm. that uh, four goals a game, like in, in order to beat the Edmonton Oilers before last night, you had to come in knowing you had to put five goals on the, on the score sheet. Like that's crazy time stuff, man. Like, before I get into what I wanted to finish with, like what I know you're not covering the Edmonton Oilers or watching them closely, but what what was making? I mean, obviously Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle will go a long way in making a team good, but like, what is the difference between the Oilers now and the Oilers before they fired uh, their head coach at the beginning of the season? Like, what was the big difference here? Uh, I think it's an actually really interesting case, and and like you said, I I don't follow the Oilers enough to have provide the kind of in-depth insight that I might be able to about the Penguins. Um, but what I do remember about the Oilers from earlier in the season is that under Jay Woodcroft, before he was fired, uh, the Oilers actually had pretty good underlying numbers. In fact, they had some of the, the league's best underlying numbers, but the results weren't there. Um, that's not to say they were playing perfect hockey, First of all, their goaltending was atrocious, which has improved, um, I don't know, about substantially. Uh, well, it, it mm. has improved substantially. I, I just don't know that it will sustain forever. Um, but I, I don't expect it to get back to the <clears throat> the absolute <clears> – <throat> excuse me. I don't expect it to get back to the, the terrible levels it was at earlier in the season. Uh, I do think that they did have some – structural issues, even though their underlyings were strong early in the year. Uh, I follow a couple of very smart Oilers people. And from what I gathered, there were some uh, kinks within Woodcroft's system that kind of exposed the Oilers. Uh, But I think Mm -hmm. regardless of a coaching change, there was always going to be a course correction there. And then you factor in that they've got McDavid and Dreisaitl who can win you games on their own any given night. Um, so I, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. McDavid and Dreisaitl taking over that course correction that was always going to come. They're getting better goaltending and they probably are playing in a, in a more structured environment now under their new head coach. Oh, Connor McDavid in that 16 game point streak or in that 16 game. Ooh, let me, uh, let me take streak. a guess. Let me take a guess. So it's, I'm assuming it's over two points a game. Yes. Uh, math is not my strong suit. Two points a, a game would be 32 points during that streak. It is It is less. It's less? Wow. Okay, uh, 28 yeah. points. 26. Okay. Still insane. Uh, nine, nine goals and 17 assists in 16 games, which is just – I mean, like, that's just different. He's built different. Uh, the, also, side note about McDavid. Did you watch the skills competition? Uh, bits and pieces of it. I I had, I had it on while I was working on that. It, it looked like the way I put it on Twitter was it looked like watching TJ Watt run through drills and then watching like the third and fourth stringers run through drills. It, he is just better than everybody, man. And it's not close. It is just, I mean, I don't know what else to say. I mean, like, what else do you say about this guy? He's just better than everybody right now. Yeah, I, I won't uh, argue with that. So and, here's and the, the thing. And, uh, go for it. 
No, no, go ahead. You you say your say your piece before I get into my. Well, no, I I was if if we're talking about the McDavid of like three seasons ago, um, he wasn't good defensively. Like he was creating a lot of his offense because he was cheating the mm. defensive zone. Now I'm not He's putting him. In, I'm not putting him in any selkie conversation. Not at all. But his, at least as far as his defensive impacts have gone, they've improved quite a bit and are now considerably above average, depending on which model you're looking at. So just as I was bringing up with Carlson earlier, that going from a league worst or, or significantly below replacement level impacts defensively to at least replacement level or average or even above average, like that is a massive difference in your overall value. Yeah. Anyway, yep. go ahead. So. Again, twenty six points and or yeah, twenty six points in sixteen games. We we both agree that's that's really good hockey. Um, and obviously, points is not the end all be all, but that's for offensive hockey players, for forwards especially, for you know, uh, the name of the game in hockey is to put the puck in the net. When you're generating points, you're a good hockey player. Um, Most of the time, sh- yeah. Unless, Shout out to Josh Yoey. Unless you're what? I was going to say, unless you're 2021, 20, 22, Mikhail Granlin. <laughs> I, I still see people every once in a while. They're like, oh, Granlin was just, he, he put up 60 points the year before the Penguins traded for him. And I was like, oh, maybe you should have read the article I wrote the night that he, the Penguins traded for him that said he was leeching empty <laughs> calorie points from top line minutes, which is exactly what he's doing in San Jose this year. Um, anyway, go ahead. So shout out to Josh Yowie. Before I ask you this, did you see Josh Yowie's tweet last night about Mario? Uh, I can't say I did. Okay. So Connor McDavid, 26 points in 16 games. How many points did Mario Lemieux score in that 17-game win streak that the Penguins had in 92-93? Oh, I, I've heard the, the number before. It's Is it f- I want to say either 47 or like 51 points or just something insane. 51 points in 17 games. 27 goals and 24 assists. What is even crazier about this is this was the year he came back from cancer. Yeah. We'll never see see it. For those of you who don't know, the man came back from cancer and went on a tear that would have put him at 214 points that season if he would have played a full 82 game season. We'll never, we'll never see that again. Um, I, you know, just with all of the nostalgia with them, with that has come up with the Oilers getting close to this, I went back, I watched the Lemieux documentary and was just kind of going through some old Lemieux stuff. Cause I think I've talked about the Lemieux is the reason why I fell in love with hockey. And I'm sure I'm not the only person in this, you know, my age or our age that they can say that, but uh, he was my hero growing up. One of the things that blew my mind, I put this on Twitter last night, Danny, Sidney Crosby is a, we've talked about this top five, top seven player of all time. And I realized, fully realized he's play, he played his career in a different era than Lemieux did. But Sidney Crosby has played 321 more games than Mario Lemieux and has still 170 points to catch him. It, it's nuts. Like, <clears throat> I, 
I don't want to do a, a Lemieux Gretzky thing right now, but I think crap like that absolutely lends itself to at least making a case that Lemieux was the best ever, or or at least he, would have been had he not yeah, dealt with so many. He's years. the. Do you know he's the only player in the all-time top forty that didn't play a thousand games? Uh, you tweeted that, didn't you? 915 games, and he's number eight all-time. He's number eight all-time in scoring and played 915 games. So look, I, when you look at the numbers that Gretzky put up, and I, you know, I'm not getting into the debate who, who is better. They're, my top three, and I'll put them in any order, is Bobby Orr, Mario Lemieux, and Wayne Gretzky. I, give me any order of those three, that's my top three. I, you can make a case for any of the three of them. Um, but I mean, the one thing with Gretzky that always blows my mind is there was a six year period where he averaged 200 points a season. Yeah, that's pretty nutty. I I mean, if you took, I, I don't know what the exact number is, but like, if you took every single one of Gretzky's goals away, all 894 of them. Yeah. All of them. He still is the all-time leading scorer at 969 points. Or not 1,969 points. Like, yeah. That is one of the (laughs) – I saw something else uh, the other day that that showed Tom Brady's uh, touchdown passes in his 20s and his 40s, which were like ridiculous numbers. Uh, And then one of the responses to that was, yeah, if Brady never threw a touchdown pass in his 30s at all, he'd still be like eighth all time in in passing Mm -hmm. touchdowns. It's just like that. It's it's just. I heard a stat about uh, Tom Brady on the Dan Levitard show. Did you know that he never started a game in which his team was mathematically eliminated from the playoffs? Never? Never started a game in which his team was mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. Wow. That's that good. is – that's craziness. <laughs> that's just silly season kind of stuff. What I'd love to do is maybe – do, and maybe this could be some like off-season stuff that we can you know, figure out how to put this together. I would love to do a deep dive, especially with you watching some video – of Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux trying to pinpoint because they were totally, totally different approaches to hockey. Um, Obviously we know what made Mario so good. He was just the bigger, better machine. He was six, five, six, six in a time when that wasn't the normal. Um, He was faster than everybody. He was more skilled than everybody. Gretzky was a lot smaller, but knew how to get to open ice and probably saw and thought the game of hockey better than anybody that ever played it. Mm. I'd love to do a deep dive, like breaking down what made, especially those two, you know, so good and, and why they were so different, but they were so effective that I think that would be a very fascinating uh, film study and, you know, exercise in just random hockey. Because I don't think like, I, and I know this is going to sound like me being Switzerland here, but I have put a lot of thought into this. I don't think one of them is better than the other. Just I different. think that, but as humans, as humans, we have to rank things. Uh, we, have, yeah. we have to pick the best one. 
It's okay. Because if you if you put like you said, if Lemieux isn't battling cancer and isn't battling back problems that literally stopped him from tying his own skates, I think you can make an argument that he's right there with with Gretzky. I think so. But at the same time, Gretzky did it. So like you know, right. there's there's a there's a back and forth there. Um, I just think there were two totally different attacks at hockey or, you know, ways of looking at hockey and playing the game. And I never get tired of watching highlights of either of them. I never get tired of hearing stories or looking at their stats or seeing what they did. You know what I mean? Like listening to them talk about the game Uh, to me, if you got to grow and I caught the tail end of both of their careers, but if you got to see them in their primes in the, in the mid eighties to the early nineties, like that had to have been, as a hockey fan, that that had to have been something special. Oh, no question about it. I mean, I I only memories I have of watching Lemieux were his final season, Crosby's rookie year, because that was mm. uh, the year before that was the lockout, and the year before that, I was too young to even really know what was going on. So my first year watching you, hockey. Oh, you really are that young. Yes, I'm really that Just, young. It just it's crazy to me because I was in high school for all that stuff. Yeah, I'm uh I'm a '98 baby, pal. I'm an '89 baby. Just flip the numbers around. There we go. But man, yeah, it, it's but to still say you got to see him. I'm, you know what I mean. Like at the end of the day, you still. Oh yeah, him. like did you ever oh, see him live? Um. I might have in Columbus, definitely not here. Okay. I'll have to che- I'll che- I'll have to check and see if he played a game in Columbus in 0506. Mm-hmm. If he did, I was I believe I was there. Um but anyway, the point I was making is that I that was really the only time I ever like actually saw him in the moment. And obviously, he was a shell of his of the greatness yeah. that he used to bring. Um but even now, and I've done it a million times, but like if I'm bored or it's the middle of the off season or something, like I'll pull up like Lemieux compilations on YouTube or like watch the cup runs and how dominant he was. And it's just a marvel. And like the, the sport was mm-hmm. so much different then. And, and still watching him and what he was able to do is just fascinating to me. The one thing I will say is thank God the goalie, uh, the goalie position has evolved the way it has. Because it is, I don't know that the NHL. Would, and, I don't know that the NHL would still exist if goalies of the '80s never evolved. <laughs> like I, I, I would love to hear the first conversation with somebody. Hey, you know, you can you could go down. You, you could you a, could get what's down. A butterfly. <laughs> yeah, like you you could you could you could go down on your knees and stop that shot. Like you don't have to stand up. Try to bend I, I, over and touch your toes. This is definitely us probably stepping over a fence that we shouldn't. But like a lot <laughs> of the goalies back then, just from watching them, and I, I didn't wasn't alive then, so feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. But at least from these clips, just beyond them, like standing there and kind of flailing at it, it seemed like they did not process the game in front of them very well at all. Would you process the game at all very well if you no, had I, that I, limited I, equipment? I'd probably be more worried about getting domed, so I guess I can't blame them. Yeah, like uh, I think that was the real thing here: goalie, uh, goalie equipment technology. Right, now, <laughs> now we're getting somewhere. Goalies of the past 
Goalies of the 80s sucked because they were so concerned with getting hurt. This is the deep, yeah. hard-hitting stuff you come to us for. You're welcome. Back in the day when it was when you weren't a real man if you wore a mask. <laughs> I love you got that. anything else before we go any further off the rails? Uh, I, we, we, it's been so long since we've been in the studio. I think we're about to run out of our free minutes on StreamYard. Yes, and I, I do think uh, – I, I know the last time I said this, we went right back to audio only. But I don't, do don't think I was them. there. They, they don't believe us anymore. Yeah. We just got to show them now. I was there yesterday, and I think that we are back next week. Uh, it is it's for the most part done. It sounds incredible. I can't wait to have, to have people hear uh, the next episode if we're there because it sounds fantastic, man. It's, it's pro-level stuff. So we're, we're, coming, we're coming back. I'm excited. But, I even had somebody ask us uh, where the videos have been, which means somebody actually watched our videos and missed our ugly mugs. Yeah, that's what I put. That's what I put on for my dog when I leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> Boosting our YouTube count. There you go. Well, Danny, I got nothing else, man. I'm gonna go eat my dinner. So. I, I am as well. Maddie and I have been watching the show called Griselda. You, you familiar with it? It's on Netflix. I've heard of it. I've, yeah, I've heard of it. I haven't watched it. Uh, Sofia Vergara, Vergara, however you pronounce she's it. She's a drug pin, right? Yeah. Like, she's like a drug dealer or something like that. Yeah. yeah she's like the female yeah. El Chapo. Pretty good. Yeah, we, we, we've been watching the, uh, the, the decades documentaries on HBO Max. It's been our thing. What what are those about? Actually, you can tell me after we get off. People don't want to hear this. <laughs> what are the decades? What what are the decades documentaries about? It's about, about what the decades. During the decades, like the sixties, the seventies, the eighties, the nineties. Yeah. It just okay. Goes if I had assumed that, it would have been about fucking <laughs> bananas or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's about the the music club in Oakland back in the seventies. <laughs> The University of Pittsburgh. Um, we're done. There's like one person that got that reference. We're out. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Like and subscribe if you're uh, if you're into pity. <laughs>